Well, good morning. If I don't know you, I'll introduce myself. My name is David Thies. I'm one of the elders here at uh, the church. And as has been our custom over the last several years, during the Advent season, we take a break from our regular schedule and uh, celebrate the season of Advent. Advent. And we do that by several of us taking turns, um, exercising the privilege of coming to you with our spoken word and our, our sermon. So today, today I have that privilege. Uh, it is the beginning of an Advent season, uh, and there is the tradition of the church calendar that we honor here, not because of the tradition of the whole thing, but because there are things that we can glean from stopping for a moment as the world is swirling around us, getting ready for the season even the world calls Christmas, uh, and focus our attention for a moment on not what the world takes us to, but what the Word of God takes us to. Because there are things about Advent that we can relate to. Advent is a time of waiting, celebrating what God's people were doing as they were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Even the hymns that we've chosen uh, today talk about that reality. It's hard to wait. You probably know that. Uh, All of us are children at heart, and you know how hard it is, especially when you're a child, to wait for something that is so special as the celebration of Christmas. There are other things that are hard to wait for as well. The good news is that in the Christian church, we don't have to wait for the reality of God's incarnation. It has happened. Jesus came into the world as a baby, and we celebrate that. That's one of the things we talk about a lot during the time of Christmas. And there are other things that we are waiting for in the Christian church, Christ's return, our ultimate glorification, events in our lives that have been promised to us that have not yet happened. But when we wait as Christians, we wait with certainty. So as we kind of embrace the traditional church calendar celebration of Advent, I think it's important to say that it it isn't out of any feeling of uncertainty or wonder about something is going to happen. The things that we celebrate have happened. It's good to connect, nonetheless, with pre-Bethlehem Christians, if I can call them that, because we do know what it's like to wait, and as we observe God's people waiting for the birth of Christ, for the entry into the world of the Messiah, there are things that we can relate to. There are ways that we can see similarities between what they were going through and what we go through. And finally, I suppose it's worth mentioning uh, that as we know that around us in the world there is a secular or cultural celebration of of, uh, Christmas, our celebration of Advent can prepare us to properly honor the reality, the truth of what the Advent season was all about as we engage our culture. So, welcome to the beginning of our Advent series. And today... We begin, as many churches around the world are beginning today, with the story of Zechariah, or really it's the story of the birth of John the Baptist. Isaiah had said this, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Prepare the way of the Lord. How is that way to be prepared? By whom would, would it be done? Malachi tells us, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now that messenger that Malachi promised is thought to be John the Baptist, born to Zechariah, who was a priest, and Elizabeth, his wife. Here's the story. But let's pray first. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the traditions of the church, not because they make us feel so warm and comfortable, although they do, but because, Father, they point us to the truth of what you have done and will do. Would you guide us in, along that road today, Father, as we begin a, a season of reminder of what it was you promised, what you did, and what you will do in the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, from the first chapter of Luke, a couple of different sections telling the story of the birth of John the Baptist. Beginning at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Ab Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will, have great, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. <clears throat> and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. 
and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now we move to verse 57, which is the actual birth. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah then tells them. He can now speak. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, For he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And that's the story of Zechariah and the birth of his son, John. There are many things we could look at here. Not the least of which is the historical connection between the events that we just read about and the eventual birth of Jesus Christ. Stay tuned because you'll hear about that, I think, next week as we move through these series of scriptures. I'd like to focus just for a minute today, though, on three different aspects of what it was that was going on in Zechariah's life. Zechariah himself. Zechariah is just like you or me maybe even more like some of you than others, here's an example of a father and a mother, a husband and a wife, who had not been able to conceive. It's very similar to the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God comes and makes a promise, a promise that seems incapable of fulfillment, and yet God makes that promise. I think that in this story, there are a number of things that are being taught. One of them, though, is that God is teaching Zechariah 
to trust His Word. Something that we need to learn as well. Another way of looking at that would be to call it God teaching Zechariah how to live in light of the known promises of God. Do you face that challenge ever? Maybe are you facing it today? That God has made promises to you that you know are there and truthful and because they come from the eternal God, our Creator, they can and should be believed and yet we don't live as if those promises are real. We, we play games with ourselves and with God as we consider the promises that have been made to us. In Zechariah I think we see three different reactions that are worthy of uh, stopping just for a moment and considering. Promises feared, promises questioned, and promises believed. We see each of those things in Zechariah's life. That's the outline that you'll find on the back of your bulletin if you want to jot down anything as we go through this. Let's look at promises feared, promises questioned, and promises believed. First looking at promises feared. Well, the scripture says that Zechariah was afraid. Now it's very brief. He seems to get over it quickly, but I don't want to miss seeing this. The first promise is the one that comes merely by virtue of the presence of the angel Gabriel, who comes and sees Zechariah as he is doing his priestly duties in the temple. His reaction was fear. The scripture says, And there appeared to him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now you might say that's a pretty normal thing that might happen to any one of us, but stop for a moment and consider that Zechariah really should have known better. Fear might have been appropriate, but certainly surprise was not appropriate. Zechariah was a professional. He was an experienced church worker. He was an honored member of the family of Aaron, a priest who had been given the privilege of entering the temple to burn incense says here in verse 8, Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division, his group of the Aaronic priesthood, was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, so he was chosen, to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And of course, inside the temple of the Lord, that Zechariah would have been very familiar with, was the presence of the Lord. Zechariah knew this. And yet he feared his fear was quickly calmed because the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. But it's worth asking how Zechariah's fear slowed him down in doing what it was that God had called him to do, even for the brief moment until Gabriel reassured him. You and I face the same thing sometime, that we come across something in the scriptures that is pointed directly at a challenge that we're facing in our lives. And because we realize that it is God speaking to us at that moment, we fear and we lock up and we can't continue to do what God has called us to do. Fear is a horrible thing. Fear in the light of God's truthful promises will stop you from being the people that God wants you to be. Consider that as you face uh, as you face the, the fears of, of life in the knowledge that God is there and speaks to you and wants to guide you through those moments. So the first promise was 
the, provoked the fear that Zechariah felt. Now, things get a little bit more challenging, a little bit more difficult as far as Zechariah is concerned. As we move to the second reaction that he had, promises questioned. Gabriel goes on and makes some pretty strong claims. He says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. An amazing prophecy from a couple of different perspectives. He's both promising that a baby will be born to a couple that is old and barren, and secondly, that the baby that is born will do wonderful and great things. Now imagine what your emotional reaction might be putting yourselves in the shoes of Zechariah to something like this. I mean, after all, it may have been that they had lived almost a lifetime together, Zechariah and Elizabeth, in the midst of, the, of, of infertility, the inability to produce children. Would there be bitterness? Kind of, yeah, God, you've been telling me that all along. We've been praying, but no prayer has been answered. Maybe it's skepticism. Maybe it's, how can I believe that at our age, Elizabeth and I would parent a child? Is there anger that Zechariah would feel saying, it's been so long that we've been waiting. Please don't take us down this road again. All examples of emotions that we feel when we don't hear God's response according to our timetable. Well, whatever feeling he felt, we know that he doubted the truth about what was being told to him. Zechariah says this in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? He says. I see two things here that we need to notice. One is the obvious, and the other is the not so obvious that I've seen looking at it this time for the first time in all the times I've read this passage. Two possible types of doubt that are being expressed by Zechariah. First, the obvious one. I'm old, my wife is old, how can we have kids? He's saying, you can't do that. I don't care how powerful our God is. This is not going to be accomplished. My wife has been through menopause. She is barren. We cannot father children. He says that to the angel who's just promised him as the, as the spokesperson for God that, he's, that they're going to have a child, right? There's something else that Zechariah may be saying here in the words, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife has advanced in years. Notice that the promises being made to them relating to John are not just that John would be born, but also that John, years down the road perhaps, would be a great blessing to his people. One of the things Zechariah may be saying is, How can I know that? I'm old. I'm old and will not live to see the day that my son John will be this great blessing to his people. Well, if that's at all what's going on in Zechariah's mind, I think it's interesting to notice that it's just one more example of how he and we negotiate with God. Kind of like if 
Thomas, the disciple, had said after Jesus had left, Thomas didn't make it back soon enough to see the proof that there had been a crucifixion. Thomas might have said, I'm never going to see Jesus again, so I'm not going to believe it. Of course, he later does see the, the, the holes in his hands, etc. But in this case, it's a little bit like Zechariah saying, you're promising me that my son is going to be a great person and is going to be a blessing, is going to do all of these things for Israel, be the precursor, the forerunner of the Messiah. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And it can't happen until more than 20 or 30 or whatever years down the road when I will be dead. He's saying, I'm not going to live in faith. I'm not going to live in the truth of your promise unless I can see it for myself. It would be as if the children's ministry that we have here at All Souls and hope to have and continue to develop as the years go on. It's as if that the people teaching those children who are not their own might say, I don't want to do this if I can't see what's going to happen in that child's life 30 years from now. And the equation doesn't work if that's the attitude we have about, what, about doing what God has called us to do. Well, back to the Zechariah story. There's a consequence, first of all, for what is being said by Zechariah. The angel says, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And then because of the way you feel, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. Zechariah was disappointed once he realized what was going to happen or what was going to be promised to him because he did not believe the words of Gabriel. He was told that he could not speak. What does that mean? It means he can't burst through the doors of the temple and go out and tell everybody what he's just learned. He wants to tell everybody the good news. He also is saying he doesn't want to live and tell everybody about these promises until he sees 20 or 30 years from now what John would do in the life of his people. All of those reflect an unwillingness to live in the truth of God's promises. And we have to believe that Zechariah, at least for a certain period of his life, while he was doubting, lost his effectiveness. He's not living in faith. He wants to live in certainty, certainty that is a human kind of a certainty. The passage that Bryce read for us earlier out of Romans 4 talks about what it's like to live in the promise that we accept by faith and not according to our own doing. The ESV that, that Bryce read uh, at verses 13, or verse 14 says, for, it, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. I like the, uh, the NIV version of this a little bit, uh, same verse. For if those who live by law are heirs, Faith has no value, and the promise is worth, worthless. In other words, if God chooses to make a promise to you that is accepted by you and believed, not because out of your own doing you can see how it's happening, but because you have faith in the God who made the promise to you, think of the things you can accomplish. Think of the message you can give to a dying world about what this God of yours has done. If, on the other hand, you say, I'm not going to believe it until I can see it with my own eyes, you lose all effectiveness. That's what happened to Zechariah for at least five months because he sat there with his mouth closed. He knew the promise was real once Elizabeth became pregnant, don't you think? He goes home saying, how can this happen? And his wife says, honey, I've got a 
neat thing to tell you about. He knows at that point that God's promise is real. What do you think he wanted to do? He wanted to head out and tell everybody about it. And what happened because of the consequence that he had to endure was that he was not allowed to do that. Imagine that agony, to know that and not be able to communicate it. The same thing happens with us when we toy with God and say, give me proof, show me a sign, let me know that what you've promised is real, and then I'll go out and tell the world. Then I'll go and talk to my neighbor. Then I'll go, I'll go and talk to my coworker or my, my fellow student if I'm in school. But only God, when you give me a sign that proves to me in my humanity that what you've promised is real. Promises that are questioned lead to ineffective participation in God's plan. It doesn't mean that God won't accomplish his plans. It just means that you may not be part of the accomplishment of the plan because you're waiting for something and God doesn't want you to wait. He wants you to jump out off that cliff in the knowledge of the promise. So, fear, questioning, but then belief. Ultimately, Zechariah doesn't have to wait until John grows up and becomes the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Zechariah believes the baby is born, and Zechariah now can speak. He doesn't insist on waiting. He's, in a, he's endured this inability to speak, and yet now God blesses him with an ability to tell people, still in advance of all that John would do. Think about that. But now he can go and tell everybody that this promise was made to him. And Zechariah, knowing, because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him, knowing what would happen, Zechariah says this. I'm going to read it one more time. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days. And you, child, speaking to his son, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Would that my conversations with my children be that powerful, that not knowing what would happen 20, 30, 40 years down the road, I would speak to them in the knowledge and the certainty of what God has revealed to me, what God has promised to me about what would happen in their lives. And would that the Spirit move in your lives to give you that kind of certainty and that kind of feeling I'm not talking about salvation. I'm speaking to saved people. I'm saying, how are you living? Are you living in the knowledge that the promise that's been made to you is real? Or are you waiting for God to give you some kind of a sign? Well, the Advent season is a time for us not to wait for the sign, 
the sign is already here. But to celebrate the certainty of that promise that is at work in each of our lives and then to live in the knowledge of that promise. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we all experience fear and doubt, disbelief even, would you show us the truth of your promise? Would you inspire us to live in the certainty of those promises, whatever they might be? You make promises to each one of us. And then would you give us the confidence, the boldness, and the opportunity to go and speak the truth of these promises to a dying world? Thank you, Father, that you include us in that process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.